When you hear the name Diedrich Bonhoeffer, some of, that, some of that might ring a bell to you. For those who didn't or don't, don't know that name, Diedrich Bonhoeffer is a German pastor and theologian whose ministry was right at the heart of World War II in the midst of Nazi Germany. And, and I stumbled upon this. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this beautiful sermon for the wedding of his niece and a friend. And, uh, and this the whole sermon, you can go out there and Google it, it's amazing, but he wrote this while he was in prison in a Nazi death camp. The sad part about this sermon he wrote for his niece and her friend, who's a friend of his, their wedding, is that he never got to deliver the sermon. But the sermon was captured, and there's this amazing, amazing point he makes in there that I think is still so vitally important today. Imagine him pinning this in love. He says to his niece and, and, and her fiance, he says, today you are young and very much in love and you think that your love will sustain your marriage. It won't. But your marriage can sustain your love. That's worth repeating. Love won't sustain marriage Marriage sustains love. And knowing the covenantal truth of marriage helps us see that. So we're going to jump into that today. I want you to grab God's word with me. Turn in your Bibles or on your devices. Turn to where we were last week, Genesis chapter 2, the very first book of the Bible. And uh, right in chapter 2, we're going to launch. Then we're going to launch every week from that spot. But I want to welcome everybody to new faces here and those online. My name is Brian. I am our lead pastor. And uh, for our guests, this is a, on the back here, the worship guide. We're going to go into this next sermon on design. These out, this outline's right here on the back, so feel free to, to follow along. Those of you online, this is pinned on Facebook Live, and it's also on our website. And I think, I think I have no announcements. I think Lene got them all, so I'm good. So we're gonna just jump in. We are in this series called By Design, and uh, we're walking through the foundational bedrock of God's design for humanity through marriage, through sexuality, and into community. These are the four foundational blocks of God's design for all humanity. So last week, last week we were talked about by God's design, we talked about humanity. We talked about God creating them male and female. And we went into just the beauty of that, the beauty of God's design in that. And so we started with humanity. This week we're going into marriage by design. And so watch this progression over four weeks. We're going to go from humanity, male and female, to marriage, by design, to sexuality, by design, and by community. The last, and all, that's a progression from all four that all serve a very big purpose. But what's challenging about this is that all four of those are under attack. And so while we talk about the beauty of all this in God's design, we do bump up against the collision of two kingdoms. And we're going to talk about that. So, so while we're going to talk about a lot of good things, we're also going to talk about what happens when we get outside that design. So it's so important that we start where? In prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word as a guide. We thank you for everything that you've done. And we thank you that we're bold church. That is the first two words of our vision. Be bold Thank you for Holy Spirit as you guide us into your into the design of God from day one. And help us when we navigate where we both just bump up against 
cultural narrative and there's a collision there and there's a lot of emotion there and there's a lot of difficulty there Holy Spirit guide us I think we're all in different places and many of these things we, we're going to talk about we have our own collisions in our life but let us rest in the beauty of what you've done what you're doing and what you're going to do and let us rest in that beauty and let's, let's be collective together in heart and mind and Holy Spirit where there's these areas where we're kind of wound up help us heal our hearts help us see what you're doing and guide this church and guide the world this church as it impacts the world those are big things to ask we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said amen so I think it's amazing when I think of this and we, and we tackle this bedrock of design in Genesis I think it's amazing that really we come down to this uh, every day we have two choices Every day all of us have two choices. We either can gather truth that guide us through life from the Bible or we can grab it from culture. I don't know of any other choice. Either we can find truth like where do we go with this and how do we navigate what's going on in the world? Either we grab that through God's word or we're gonna grab it from the culture and the struggle with culture is it's changing what? All the time, all the time. So truth is really difficult there. So every day you and I have a decision to make is which one am I going to follow? And as we go into, as we move from, uh, so if you missed last week, we talked about the design of humanity and male and female, go back and watch it on our YouTube channel, go back and watch it on our website. It's really important you see that before, we can still go through today, we're still good together today, but go back and watch that. Uh, it's out there for you able to see. So the best place for us to discuss the design of marriage is the same place we found the design of humanity. Let's go right back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is the same place we were last week. And here we see the definition or the design that God's give us for marriage. The scripture reads, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So here we see design. Here we see, there's so much in here in this, these short two verses. But let's, let's take a peek at this and make sure we understand. And we look at this, what we see is that first, we see in that creation of male and female, the first thing you need to do is you need to leave mom and dad, right? He said, this is why a husband, so if you're reading King James, this is why a husband leaves and cleaves to his wife is the old way of saying that. But first thing is leave, go leave home because what you're creating is a new home. You're creating that next generation, that next movement. So you have to be able to leave home. And then once you're there together, it's joined to each other, and you become one. In, in your version, it might say one flesh, and that's important that we use that word too. We become one flesh. And then the third is that you gotta be okay with being naked. That was a joke. You guys can... This is before the fall. You're like, oh, so imagine this with me. Let me just blow this up. This is before the fall in chapter three. So if male and female were created in their birthday suits and the fall never happened, we would be worshiping together in what? Our birthday suits. And the question is, would you be laughing or would you be ashamed? You don't have to answer that. Those on Facebook Live, you can put your answers out there if you want to know. <laughs> would you laugh or would you be ashamed? It's so amazing that they were naked and there was no shame. And I think if you'd probably update, no laughing. Here's your first sermon note together. 
marriage is rooted in creation, same way the design of humanity is. It's rooted in a creation story. The Bible describes marriage from the very start, second chapter, and God embeds the creation story with Adam and Eve. And so what we see is this covenant marriage. It's the foundation for the design from male and female to create family, and then family is the foundational bedrock for community, and then community is the foundational bedrock for society, and society is a bedrock for nation, right? These are pieces that build off each other. They're very important that they don't break down because they're designed to build so marriage is defined here in 2.24, but what we're gonna see is that design is carried all the way through the Bible. By the time you're done, we're gonna go all the way through Genesis through, Reve Genesis through Revelation, and we're gonna see that design over and over and over with a little bit of add-ons as it goes that don't change it, but add to it. And so we get back to this definition through the Bible for marriage, it's between man and woman. It's between man and woman. We don't see any other definition for this, and we see it's beautiful. When we look at male and female, it's beautiful by design. So here's our next sermon note. In God's design, there's these three things that he's really doing in this marital covenant between male and female. The first is, well, by design, here's your sermon note too, marriage unites, it procreates, and it's self-giving. So these same things are really important that marriage unites, procreates, and self-giving. So it starts with unites. Marriage unites. What that means is this is why. This is why a man leaves his mother and father, has joined his wife, they become one flesh. They unite. It's a permanent relationship. It's designed to be a permanent relationship. And, and in this we see, even though we're using the word flesh, we see two types of connectedness that happen when they become one. There's a spiritual connectedness. There's a spiritual connectedness and there's a physical connectedness that happens when they become one flesh. Now, I, I probably do, I don't know, six to 12 weddings a year. And premarital counseling is one of my favorite things. And many of you here have been through premarital counseling with me. So, so I usually will, so those of you who are familiar with this, I'll give it to everybody else. Here's a clue. It's like, here's, here's guys, here's you, right? And this hand, this is like, this tip of your, my finger, this is where you're really good, where God's really gifted you, you're amazing by design. And these valleys in between my fingers, um, you stink at this, or you have no gift, right? <laughs> And then all of a sudden, along comes Eve. Along comes the spouse God's giving you. Look at what she's got. Wow, bang, bang. Out here on the top are all the things that she's just amazing spiritually. She's amazing in her design, her gifting, just like you are. This is what God gives you. And this is where she lacks or may never have a gifting. And what does God do? He sews them together. He knows what you need. And he brings that spouse, the other to you, and they sew in as one flesh. And when I say sew in, they sew in tightly, not only spiritually, but the physical act too sews us in so tightly. And I want to talk all about sexuality, but we're going to wait till next week because we've got to get this building block in place first. But sexuality is next week for parents with kids in here. It will be PG-13. I'm not trying to, it just, we're going to be clear about what God's word says in sexuality. So if that's appropriate for your age child, then bring him here because I'm going to tell him to ask you questions on the way home tonight. We want you discipling them. But he weaves these two together. Physically, spiritually, they become one. And what's so amazing is her stuff complements your stuff, and because her stuff complements so well, you don't have to be that because now you're one and you are that. So, unites. 
Second, procreates by design, the spiritual and physical intersection. The spiritual intersection, the physical intersection, we'll talk about this more next week. Sexuality is that ability to procreate. It's not the only purpose, but I wanna say that till next week. Sexuality is a multi-purpose event in our marriage. But in this case, it gives us the ability to be, to join God as co-creators. Male and female come together. They're physically designed to come together. And in that, there's the miracle of birth. And to create the generational, uh, God's design to flourish and move generation to generation. And so we have the honor to join God as co-creators in that union. That's amazing. We can create life. Isn't it? You ever stop and think about that? I think it's pretty routine for us. But God gives us a miracle life and he does it through us. And in that, not only do we have spiritual connectedness and physical connectedness, we have family connectedness, the miracle and gift of children as they share the parents' DNA, they share emotional, spiritual design, and it's designed to be a family unit that's connected right from the start. And the third, the third is, by design, marriage unites, it procreates, and it's self-giving. I will tell you the best marriages the best marriages are those where a man and woman have moved from selfishness to selflessness. And those who've been in my premarital class, we, we are, when we go through that counseling, it's like, it's a lot of hours of listening to this. For, for I, I would say, I used to say, for 18 years you've been selfish, because what it means, you only had to take care of yourself, and now you're being united to somebody, and you have to learn how to be selfless, because you're doing this. What was interesting when I said that was a little side trail. I noticed when Kara and I were married a few years ago, 34, um, the average age to be married was where we were at, 20 to 21. Today's average age is 28, 29. A longer, longer wait. A longer, longer wait. But the best marriages, and Kara and I will tell you we're still learning this after 34 years how to be selfless and not be selfish. It's a constant thing but the best marriages are selfless. Self-giving to one another, submissive to one another, self-sacrificing, that's the glue that makes not only marriage stronger but more intimate, and you sew so tightly together. And in this process of self-giving, our number one goal is not to make each other happy, to make each other holy. And we gotta start living and thinking as one. And I love this. It's like, I, there's some things I'm terrible at and it ain't gonna change. I, when I, I, you know, I think there's all these years as a paramedic, I wanna fix things in 30 minutes. So when there's a big decision, I give it to Kara because she's really good at it. And she'll research it. Otherwise, I'll just run out and do it. And, and so I yield to her. So it's like, because it's like, well, Kara's not great. We're great because Kara's good at that, right? We're one. So we gotta think as one. I'm amazing because she's amazing. She's amazing because I'm amazing in how we work together selflessly, self-giving. And so you put those three together and you're looking at, man, it's amazing what God has done. It's amazing what he has designed. And last week we talked about in the design of male and female in chapter two, we went to chapter three. And every, for those of us who are getting familiar with the Bible, chapter three is the fall. Chapter three is when sin enters the world. Chapter three shows us an enemy who's constantly after us to blow up the foundations of God's design. And this week, this is true too. Remember, we're just gonna go back and remind you, Satan is a deceiver. He loves to get those four words in our mind. Did God really say this about marriage? 
and he gets us to start believing our own plan or our own idea and he moves us in a direction and the minute it blows up and the minute our life crumbles, he shifts to the accuser and he says, look what you did. He's so good at that. And that wasn't a compliment. And so he knows that if the foundations of God's design is humanity, marriage, sexuality, and community, then he's gonna come after the foundation all the time. All the time. And so here's our third sermon note. Today's mantra is, marriage is about my happiness. This is so subtly deceptive. But marriage is about my happiness. So remember mantra, I kind of use in a mystical word, but mantra means something I repeat over and over until I actually believe it. And for those of you watching the Hallmark Channel, this is it. <laughs> it's a joke. I just blew up somebody's life and they're like really mad. They're really mad. You know, but you look at a lot of movies or a lot of series and things like that. It is, it's about happiness, right? The mantra is marriage is about happiness. There's nothing wrong with happiness, but it cannot be a primary goal. Holiness is a primary goal. Us shaping each other like Christ, coming closer and closer together. Happiness results out of that, but happiness means, well, largely what it means is when it becomes about happiness, when it becomes about my happiness, it becomes about my self-fulfillment. And when my self-fulfillment is not being met in marriage, I begin to look to either dissolve that or change that. And when marriage becomes an issue where one or both become about self-fulfillment and the marriage degrades, what happens, you end up with a culture today where divorce rate is 37%. This kind of stunned me a little bit because I used to hang on the 50% number, but actually now that they've gone back and done studies, the number's always been in the high 30s. But today, in the 2022, 2020 census, the divorce rate in America was at 37%. And what happens then is then we see also the next thing that results out of that is the family nucleus then crumbles. 23% of children in the U.S. have only one parent today. Almost a quarter. And the next statistic that shocked me when we look at how the enemy goes after this was that one million children in America this year will move to a one-parent household. One million children this year will go through a divorce of their parents and move into a one-parent, largely a one-parent household. One million in one year. And while we're fighting for this family unit and we're fighting for, for healthy marriages, then we get this big hit in 2015 where the Supreme Court decides to legalize same-sex marriage. And then there becomes another avenue of saying marriage is this. And then the church just has spun into crisis with many denominations starting to believe that God's design is not the true design. And one of the struggles with same-sex marriage, um, as we look at that as an issue, is of those three things, unite, procreate, and self-giving, that cannot unite and it cannot procreate. It's outside God's design. There can be self-giving. It can be emotional love, it can be, but it does not fit God's design. And so what you end up with that is civil marriage, which the states recognize and the nation recognizes. But holy matrimony is a covenant in God's design and rule. And so we did have difficulty calling that holy matrimony. This is where we're really buttoned up against culture. 
Now I mentioned, okay, I don't want to spend a lot of time in the heavy. I want to spend a lot of time in the beauty. But I also want to show you actually through the Bible how this, this design repeats. So now I'm going to go to Malachi. Malachi is, is a prophetic book towards the end of the Old Testament period, right before this intertestinal period, and Jesus comes. You can see the nation of Israel has come back together. They're starting to rebuild, but marriage is an issue. And Malachi, the prophet, writes this, starting in verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. 16 is powerful. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. The God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Second time he says that. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So we look at this in Malachi 2. Look, he goes right back. Malachi goes right back to the creation account. Didn't, aren't you one in flesh with your spouse? Didn't God design that that way? And then he adds the covenantal language. In body and spirit, you're his. He's talking about the covenant three. Our covenant marriage is three, not two. Six, if you add the whole, well, five, if you add the whole trinity, right? <laughs> but it's holy. And what does he want? God doesn't, it's not saying God only wants children out of your marriage. He wants godly children. He wants a generation to follow and a generation to follow that when they're holy, they're in relationship with him and healthy and with each other. And when that breaks, it breaks down. So he's pointing to marriage as a generational issue. So men, you know, he's pointing at men in this, but it really goes both sides. Guard your heart, remain loyal to the life of your youth. And then those three, four powerful words, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Why does God hate divorce? God hates divorce not because God created this rule and he just wants us to follow rules. God hates divorce because in the beauty of his design, he watches two come together and sewn together as one, deeply sewn together as one flesh and divorce rips that apart and it causes a lot of pain. It causes lifetime consequence. It impacts the family unit. God hates it because it tears apart the people he loves. He hates it because it hurts him. God grieves every divorce. He loves every person, just like the church should. And he hates to see the pain and suffering. Two, when two flesh separate, they tear. They don't, that, that word sounds nice, separate. It's a tearing of soul, spirit, and life. He grieves over broken marriages, you know, and even when they show this here, we're looking at kind of the culture in Jewish tradition. Wives, women had such low value in that Jewish culture. So when a husband, for any reason, just, devo just divorced his wife, he put her out in the cold. She couldn't work. She'd rely on the alms of people and surviving. It was so cruel. So guard your heart. Don't be unfaithful. There's so many ways to be unfaithful. We're not just talking sexually. 
Guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. So Malachi shows in the inter, close to the intertestamental period that's happening there. Now let's go to the New Testament. Jesus is talking. So Jesus is what? God on earth. So we're hearing God's words himself as he's challenged about the, the, the institution of marriage. So we're here in Matthew 19, verses three through eight. And it says, some Pharisees, some religious rulers, the legalistic ones, the worst ones, came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, this sound unfamiliar? And is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And the Pharisees responded, well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was never what God had originally intended. So now we're in the New Testament, and the culture is pointing to this issue of marriage and about happiness. Can I divorce anybody for any reason? They're trying to trap Jesus, but your fourth sermon note, what does Jesus do? He affirms marriage. He affirms marriage, and he goes right back to where we need to go. He says, let me, let me ask you a question. Haven't you read God's word? Chapter two. Probably wasn't chapters back then. <laughs> but go back with me. God created them male and female. And this is why a husband leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife to become one flesh. Have you read that? It's true. But then Jesus adds, let nobody tear apart what God has brought together. And God's original plan does not include divorce. So now we're seeing this really roll through the whole Bible. It keeps going back to the creation story, the creation story, the creation story. But I think this is important now when we see that, that, that we've fought this for a long time. We're fighting it still today as the enemy goes after the foundations of what God's designed. But how do we as a church respond? So let me take a break here a little bit and say, well, what should we do? What should we do in this? So, so I made a list for you. It's very similar to last week's list. The church's loving role when it comes to marriage. First, affirm everyone in the image of God. That was the very first note last week, right? Everyone, affirm everyone in the image of God. Everybody is created in the image of God. And, and that, is, that is very good. Everyone at the core is very good. Remember that we are four people, church, and we're for God's design in marriage. Second, disciple for healthy marriages. Premarital counseling, I have a wedding this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Premarital counseling has actually become one of my favorite parts, just walking with folks and helping them shape ahead of time but we have all these marital discipleship groups. We have the church to grow and, and help each other. We have great marriages, and those great marriages will tell you we're great because we went through some stuff. And let's help you. So we should affirm everyone in the image of God. We should disciple. That's what the church does. We walk together for healthy marriages. Third, battle for the covenant of marriage. The church should battle for the covenant of marriage. Let me start by saying the battle is not people. Same note as last week. Our battle is an enemy. And I think I'm theologically correct to tell you, hate the enemy. Don't ever dislike or hate people. That stops the mission of our church. Yeah. 
battle for the covenant of marriage support each other don't send them to the pastor and you can do that but you can imagine how overwhelmed we get pretty fast Kara and I are working on our marriage after 34 years <laughs> small joke it's a constant work but our battle is against an enemy it's not against people so when people are starting to hurt meet them there church walk with them help them and if I can give any note that's more important today of somebody who counsels a lot of marriages is please do not wait until your marriage is a four alarm dumpster fire it is so hard to recover there I was amazed a number of years ago here a young couple military couple come up to me and they said hey can we meet with your pastor and I said yeah you could tell there was struggle and they've been married just two years and they sat down and they said hey we just have become roommates and I'm like okay so tell me about the trauma tell me about everything else no, there wasn't any we just are coexisting going to work and we're starting to not like it and I was like are you serious that's it and they're like that's it I think we met three times and they just flourished they just took off but they recognized early something was wrong and they didn't hide it last the church's loving role in marriage is restore and love those who suffer divorce there are no scarlet letters here the only scarlet letter Jesus bore on a cross he bore the shame of everything we've gone through and I know the statistics I know how many here have gone through this or their marriages are struggling and I want to tell you there are no scarlet letters in the church walk with each other guide each other help each other heal love as Christ loves us when somebody needs help remember how he helped me remember how he saw beyond my sin and my issues every day and that is the way I can see others in empathy those who are hurting in our church and even outside our church church meet them there and you know the best sign the best sign to look for a marriage in trouble is when they isolate because it's the enemy's number one number one strategy is when your marriage starts to hurt he was saying I wouldn't go to church on Sunday or I wouldn't go to small group because that room is full of holy people and you guys aren't being very holy right now and that's such a lie because we all know how messy we are but we are getting better every day and he loves to isolate because when he isolates you he has a heyday he just has a heyday of tearing apart you and then you, he gets you to a place where you don't want help and shame and hiding and he just tears you apart and church recognize that you can see it on Facebook you can see it in other places when people start to hide and go help them go be there for them love them as Christ loves us walk with them there is no shame here there are no scarlet letters here this should be the best place and when we sang this and when people go through that difficulty, we sang this a little bit ago, when you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. And that's what happens here. And we restore and we move forward. Okay, there's our, there's our list. Let's go out and do that. That's what the church is. Last sermon note. So here's, I, I like coming back to this each week. There's a bigger purpose to everything. So, so this last one, marriage points us to a greater final purpose marriage is not about just what happens here marriage is pointing us to something greater marriage is a warm-up marriage is a warm-up to eternity 
creation, humanity, and marriage are all on this journey to something greater. So let's go to Ephesians 21. Many of you are familiar. Here, hear these a lot of weddings, these scriptures. Ephesians 5, 21. Paul's writing now to the church about marriage. And he says this. He says, And further, husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Watch what's happening here. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church. He just shifted without a spot or a wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Look at how holiness is important here. And then he goes back, right? As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Paul goes there to the church. Let's go back to the foundation. This is a great mystery. He's taken us somewhere we have not seen yet. He's saying this is a great mystery because it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. But Paul just points out something. Our marriage is heading towards a bigger marriage. And is the marriage of Christ returning and the marriage of him and the church as one. And, and we get a lot of questions here. Brian, does that mean my marriage is over? I don't think so. But what it is, it's so much bigger and better. We gotta head towards it. We gotta head towards it. Our marriage is a mystery of what's coming. We know a little bit about it, but we just know it's gonna be much bigger and much more glorious. And how we do this right is what is next. Covenant marriage has many purposes, but the greatest purpose is to live out the example of the relationship between Christ and his church. He's coming back for his church. And just as Christ, Jason Sarosky said this, just as Christ has made an unshakable, unbreakable covenant with his bride, the church, which he did on the cross, so we in covenant marriage must make the highest commitment to one another. Now there's one demographic here that I haven't talked to, so let me, let me go on a short segue and let's talk about those of us who are single. Those of us who are single, those single is commonly, uh, not always, well it is, it's a season. I might be single until I find that one that the Lord has you know, made for me. I may be single in that season. I may be single because I'm widowed and I've lost the love of my life well, temporarily. I'm waiting for that reunion. I'm, I'm wrestling with the decision of should I remarry and all that. I'm single because um, of divorce and, and that is, and what's those next steps for me. Or some of us have the gift, as Paul would say, the Apostle Paul, the gift of singleness for a lifetime. So what do we talk about, Brian? You just talked about marriage but didn't really hit where I was. Well, I want you to know that even in our singleness, we are moving towards a marriage. Everybody in this room, even if I have a lifetime gift of singleness or a season of singleness, I'm moving towards marriage with Christ. And it will be glorious. So what does, you know, Paul says it's a mystery. What, is, what does eternal marriage look like Man, this one's kind of, I think there's a way we can show it though. Uh, I want to take you to the book of Revelation. We start in Genesis, book of Revelation is the last book. It's the one we're excited about because it hasn't happened yet.
I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. It's talking about the marriage that's coming. She, the bride, that's us, has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear Christ's work on the cross. Today, God sees you as perfect in your less than perfectness because of what Christ did. Every one of us, he sees us like that. Not because of what we did, because of what Jesus has done for us. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. What we know is when Jesus comes back, it'll be the wedding of all weddings, our wedding with him. One family, something so much bigger than we can even imagine. And you know how we celebrate that? Communion. Every time we come to this table, it's a foretaste. It's a foretaste of what the wedding feast will be like. When we decide to follow Jesus, you know, this is why baptism is so important to us. When we decide to follow and go on a journey and get in the water and leave our old self behind, come out of the water and start this journey, we're heading towards this wedding. And communion is a foretaste of where we're heading. And this is the kingdom that we're halfway in, partway in now, we're experiencing here at the table together. I want to let you know communion is open to everybody here who's, if you have a relationship with Christ, the right relationship with Christ, you are welcome. You're guests, please. We're all, we're all the body of Christ. So you're welcome. Please join us. The way we'll do this is we'll go into a video, a song here that we can just reflect. And we ask the front rows come first and just follow behind. And servers, if you want to join me now, please do. You will get a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and we ask that you do not, do not take it, but take it back to your seat, because as a community, we want to take together. It's just important. And while you're doing that, we say examine your heart and where you are with God. He's really good at setting things right quickly. And then we'll take together here in just a little bit, and we'll go through the words of Jesus in that supper and that last feast. I would ask if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and he draws you to the table today, I'm going to tell you to come because it's how he moves in grace. But if you come to the table exploring that he's drawing you there, would you meet with one of us afterwards so we can help you on that journey? So let's all come to the table together. Communion, your 
take this piece of bread with me and hold it up the scripture reads in 1 Corinthians 11 it says on the night Jesus was betrayed he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his closest friends 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take this bread, we remember Jesus' body sacrificed for us, his life given so we can have new life now and in eternity. Let us take it together. Continue on in the scripture. It says, in the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is what the juice symbolizes. He says, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink from it, for every time you drink from this cup and you eat this bread, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And those last four words take my breath away until he comes again we're to practice the marriage feast but let me tell you about what happens when he comes back when he comes back on that day tears and shame will be forgotten forever when he comes back on that day the smothering strangling sheet of death that now suffocates us all will not just be lifted it will be consumed on that day death won't be deferred or deflected it will be devoured and if all these miseries will be removed what will take their place a feast a feast of the best a feast for people from all peoples a feast forever this is the marriage feast let us take this remembrance of that would you bow your heads with me Heavenly Father, it's our time for offering, our time to respond to you in whatever way we can. But when we respond, we respond with our best. Father, for wrestling with the foundations of humanity, the foundations of marriage, let your word speak to us. Meet with people, talk about it, wrestle with it. The cultural narrative and God's narrative are always in collision but we love what you beautifully done and we hate to see people hurt and we love to see them in relationship with you and with one another. We love your design and that's why we're speaking to all this. So our offering is let us wrestle today. Our offering is some of us need for the first time to actually be starting to walk towards you and get in that water and leave their old self behind and rise up new and new life on a new journey that is true and good. And Father, I can't imagine how many marriages here are struggling, how many people have been through the difficulty and the tragedy of divorce, and it's okay to be here because there's no scarlet letters here. But let the church be the church for not only each other, but for the world, that we have the hope and joy of the world in us through Christ. And let's go out and change and love people in that way, full of truth and full of grace. That is what our church is called to. So let that be our offering today that we can go out and change a hurting world for the better. And we only do that through the power of your spirit working through us. So rise up your church, Lord, and make it powerful. A powerful beacon of light of hope and joy for a world that suffers and really struggles. That's our offering today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said.